Thanks, Ben and team. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see everybody. We are going to be doing communion, and that's why I'm up here early. So I will preach the sermon, and then directly after the sermon, we'll have another worship service, or more of a worship service, and uh, take communion um, here. Uh, we are on a new series. This is part two called The Church. What are we? And when you think of the church, you think, well, well, church, who are we? Shouldn't that be said? But the church, what are we? Well, what do you mean by saying that? What I mean by saying that is if you look through the Bible, there's a, a whole bunch of metaphorical statements, eight, in, um, eight total, uh, metaphorical statements that say, this is what you are. Last week we talked about you are the bride of Christ. Next week we're going to talk about you are, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the temple. The church is a field. The church is a royal priesthood. The church is a flock. There's statements throughout Scripture that give us a picture of what we look like and a picture of what we are. So we can look in these pictures to try to understand, well, what is this picture saying? What is this metaphorical statement saying? And we can feed off of these metaphorical statements to understand our mission, understand our goal, understand our identity. This week we're looking at what are we? We are a new humanity. Number one, the church is a new humanity under Christ. You might be thinking, well, what's a new humanity? New humanity is another word for another race, another culture, another kind of people. Um, There's one place in Scripture it talks about being a new humanity, and it's in Ephesians 2, and that's a Scripture that we're going to work off. But the concept of understanding that scripture is all the way through scripture that we are a new humanity, we are a new race, we are a new culture, all meaning the same thing, but this is what we are. We do want to focus in Ephesians 2 and work off that passage, and the reason why we're just focusing on that passage specifically is because in this passage we're going to get the how, reason, and purpose of being this new humanity. So let's read the passage, and then of course we will work off it to try to understand each of the segments in the passage. Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the country of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. There are some seeds of new humanity that we'll be working off. And has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, again, seeds of new humanity, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So the words I want to focus on in this first point is God made two out of one. He made the two one, and his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two. Well, what is that talking about? Well, the whole passage is talking about what? It's talking about the Jews. It's talking about the Gentiles. So you have the Jews and you have the Gentiles, and he's going to make those two one. Just kind of show you a chart 
up on the group. You look at a culture and you see that the Jews is a culture, the Gentiles a culture, but is the church a culture? What takes place? He does not take two people, call them the church. He creates a new person from the two people. It's not Jew and Gentile equal church. It's a creation of a new culture, a creation of a new person, a creation of a new man. When we look at these words that they're a new man, um, the best explanation would be a new humanity in regards to you have the Jewish people, you have the Gentile people, and then you have the church people. The reason why the translators use new man is because they're trying to get it very singular so we can understand it. But the two are created to be one. Therefore, the Jew is gone, the Gentile is gone. We can see it on the chart. Jew and Gentile is gone. And what do you see now? You see a new culture, a new race, a new kind of people, a new humanity. You'd be asking questions, well, I still don't understand. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about. My best friend is uh, um, in Africa, and this is a picture of him. His name is uh, Ben Margai. Ben Margai has and I have nothing in common. Um, in other words, we are completely and entirely different people. He's black, coal black, and I am white. We call ourselves, yeah, salt and pepper buddies. <laughs> uh, if you look at him, he's a... Uh, um, I'm 250 pounds, and he's just barely over 100 pounds. So we're completely different in that area. I eat three meals a day, and he eats one. We had a conversation about that a couple of years ago, quite a few years ago, and he looked at me and says, why do you eat three meals a day? You don't need them to survive. I did not want to tell him that the only way I can survive is to make sure that I snack in between my three meals a day. Did not definitely want to go that far. But we're completely different. Ben Margai loves fish heads, eyes, everything, bones. You give him a fish, you better give him the whole thing or it's an insult. The whole thing is gone from his plate. He feeds me a fish, thinking that I'm going to eat the whole thing. I'm not going to eat that head, Ben. And he looks at me and says, why not? Are you weird? I like pizza. I was over there a couple years ago, and uh, and we uh, were going to go meet Living Water Organization. And uh, they called me and they said, I want to meet with you and we're going to talk about missions that we could do in Sierra Leone. So Living Water picked the spot. And the area that we met was on top of the hill where the rich meet. And it was a restaurant that was extremely nice. And Ben Margai and myself went into the restaurant and we walked into the door of the restaurant. He's like, oh boy, this is where all the wealthy eat. And I sit down and he sits down next to me and I open up the menu and I say, pizza, <laughs> 20 bucks for a pizza and I'm in Africa. And Ben looks at me and says, what's pizza? I never even heard of pizza before. I says, oh, pizza is my best food. He goes, we're going to pay 20 bucks for food? Yeah, we're going to pay 20 bucks for food and you're going to have pizza tonight. I didn't think $20 was all that bad. But he says, okay, if you think it's good, I'll have pizza tonight. So him and I, we ate pizza that night and he's like, yeah, this is pretty good. And I spent the rest of the week with him. He barfed the whole week. Diarrhea the whole week. I look at him and say, pizza and it's a swear word. He said, that is the most disgusting thing. Don't you ever put that on my plate again. I was like, good. Don't put fish heads on my plate, and I'll keep pizza off of yours. We are completely different people. I speak one language. 
he speaks five. I was raised in a country where there is peace. He was raised in a country where there was war. And during his entire childhood, he grew up running in the brush from soldiers that wanted to kill him. As he watched his sister shot, being killed, and watched his other sister being abducted by the soldiers. Completely different background. I love water. Ben Margai despises water. If it was his, if it was his, uh, um, if he had the power, he would say the only water in church or the only water in this world should only be able to fit in a glass, and that is it. Because he'd never want to get on top of water. I was in Africa, um, and I had my cell phone, and I love rafting. I just just love it. So I put a picture up of me rafting. And I said, "Hey, look at this. This is me rafting." And he looked at that and says, ah, "What for? Why would you do something like that? It makes." No sense. Ben Margai and I are completely different people. But I tell you, it only took me about five minutes to get to know him. I walked up to him, shook my hand, and he was a pastor of a church. He says, thank you so much for coming. I preach the gospel of the living God. I'm a born-again believer, and I have a passion for our people to know Jesus. And when he told me that, I said, I am a gospel, uh, saved by the gospel of the living God. I have a passion for people to know Jesus. There was a whole bond that was connected in about two seconds. We didn't even get to know each other, have to get to know each other. We loved each other instantly. This is the culture that we're talking about. We're not American and Sierra Leonean. We're not Jew. We're not Greek. We're created this whole new being with a new king, a new focus, a new purpose, a new home. This is not our home. We're looking forward to the everlasting home in heaven. A new way of spending money, a new worldview, a new identity. Everything has become new because we have accepted Christ as our Savior. It's not something where you put Jew and Gentile together and you call it the church. It's Jew and Gentile are secondary down the church now has been created into a whole new being so when i travel to china or if i travel to sierra leone or if i go to israel i can look at somebody who's accepted christ as their savior and says we know each other already there's a friendship already we know how each other think because we love christ and we feed off of his word and that culture is what has consumed us that race is what we are this is the nation that we are Two does not equal one, but the two are made into one. That's what it refers to when you are a new humanity. Let's continue to feed off this passage. Number two, this new humanity is designed to bring us peace, to bring peace. Everyone is looking for a solution to have peace in the world. And if you go through history, you will see different areas of how people made peace. And one way that people made peace in the Bible age and also even in more ancient ages is that you have a king and a king with a nation behind each of them, and they wanted peace, they wanted alliance. To seal the alliance, what would they do? One king would give their daughter, hand them over to the other king, and say, you can marry my daughter. That was an alliance that took place for the purpose of peace. When that alliance took place, there had to be peace. 
And the reason why is because if this king who gave his daughter away was going to fight that army, he'd be fighting his daughter. He'd be fighting his grandchildren. He would be fighting his own family. This was their alliance uh, for peace. Peace was made when two nations became a family. That's when peace was made in the ancient culture. God had something even more drastic in mind when he wanted peace. Uh, Look again at the passage, Ephesians 2. He himself is our peace. I will come down to earth and I will be a man. I will live the perfect life that you could not live and I will die for their sins of my people and I'll be raised again and I will be their God. I'm not assigning any daughter. I'm not assigning anybody else. God is sending his own perfect son to us. Therefore, if he says you want peace, this is how you do it. He himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing walls of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself the new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this, one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. See what Christ is saying. Christ said, I'll be your king. I'll be your God. And I'm writing to you a whole new culture, a whole new race, a whole new nation, and this is what it's going to look like. There's not Gentile Jew together trying to make it. There is God as one called the church with a whole new law, a whole new mission, a whole new worldview, a whole new identity, a whole new way of looking at things. Number three, in this new humanity, racial and social classes should no longer exist. Racial and social classes exist in this world. That is the way it is. We don't even like to admit it. We don't even like to say it. We don't even like to stereotype. But in our mind, it consistently happens. I'll give you an example. I was in Africa. Um, I'm in Africa often. I go once a year. But there's, every time I go to Africa, there's a frustration that takes place in me. The frustration that takes place in me is that Africans are never on time. Going to church, 7 o'clock in the morning, we said, all right, let's go to church. What time does church start? Ben Margai will say 10 o'clock. I'm like, okay, when are we leaving? We're leaving at 9. All right, that takes about 30 minutes to get over there. That's a very reasonable amount of time. So sure enough, we leave at 9. We're driving down the road. Oh, I want you to meet somebody. He'll pull off the road, and I'll go meet somebody. And as I'm meeting somebody, I'm like, church starts at 10 o'clock. Um, and I'm sitting here talking to somebody for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I only got 15 minutes to get there. It's like, okay, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. Sorry, Mike, and then we'll get in the car and we'll just keep on driving. Oh, by the way, I want to show you something. There's a building project that's over there you need to see. They'll pull over to the building project. Church starts at 10. I am the preacher. And it goes from 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, and then I show up. Everybody's there. <laughs> Makes no sense to me. Everybody's there. And then I, what I do? I start preaching at 2 o'clock when the service starts at 10 o'clock. Now the whole way, there's this emotion that feels like, this is wrong. Ben Margai would not say it's wrong. Ben Margai would say, I'm uptight and I need to get over it. <laughs> you see what takes place? Is There's two different cultures. There's two different humanities. How do you work it out? Christ as the head, a connection where we love beyond anything. 
There's these racial things that do come up. There's these classes that do come up in our mind, but we are supposed to remember our identity and our new humanity that we exist in, which is a church, and it is different than anybody else's mind. Ben and Margai and I are more close than my neighbor because we know Christ. They don't know Christ. There's a new humanity. We have to respond off that new humanity. Ephesians 2, 11 gives us direction. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenships in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What did that passage just say? That passage says that the Jews are close to Christ and the Gentiles are far away from Christ. But Christ came and he changed everything with the gospel. We're both Jews and Gentiles are now on the same plane. And the only, they, the only thing they can do is bend a knee and say, Jesus, I cannot save myself. Please save me. And in that process of that salvation, a new humanity is built. Colossians 3.11, in this new life, one's nationality or race or education or social position is not important. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters, and he is equally available to every single person that's not in the world. So what happens when the gospel came wiped away all the different nations and made its new nation. So when I walk into China, we're a body. I walk into Africa, we're a body. I walk into Israel, we're a body. We know each other because we are under Christ. Galatians six fifteen. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but being a new creation. First Peter 2, 9 just says it the way it is. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nations. You are not Gentile and Jews worshiping together. You're something that is entirely new. You're a new humanity, a new culture, a new nation. Number four, in this new humanity, the pecking order is gone. In this new humanity, the pecking order must be gone. Why? Because this new humanity who's in charge, Jesus is in charge. And as Jesus is in charge, he says, I am in charge and this is what I'm going to do. I am going to lay down my life for them. You lay down your life for others. He just wiped out the entire pecking order. In this entire world, everywhere you go, there's a pecking order. Every nation, there is a pecking order. Everywhere in America, there's a pecking order. Even in churches still, there's pecking orders. I go feed my cows in the barn, and they even have a pecking order, where you have one at the top, and the one at the top tells everybody else what for. But when Jesus came, he did what? He went down to our level. And he went even down below our level, dying in our stead, wiping away the pecking order that we're all together as people needing Jesus our Savior. The pecking order is gone. Ephesians 2, 11, But now in Christ you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. How were they brought near? They were brought near through the blood of the King. The way to go up is down, 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 down. 
Rather than, I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to go up, 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 up. But service, sacrifice, giving, that's where we're walking in this new humanity, this new culture. And the world doesn't understand that. We often don't even understand it. But in this new humanity, this new culture, this is what God wants from us. Peck in order. Gone. Number five, in this new humanity, the rich and the poor are created equal everywhere. The poor and the rich, everywhere throughout the world, the poor and the rich are there. But in God's new culture, God's new nation, God's new humanity, God says, no, no, everybody is on the same, the same plane. Everyone is on the same plane. This is hard for us to understand. If you want to be a millionaire, I'm traveling to Africa in November. Come with me on my plane. It'll cost you 2000 bucks, And you will walk in a country as a millionaire. People will turn their head and say, that person has three meals a day. And he might even have some snacks. I heard that rumor as well. That person has a roof over his head. That person owns not one car. That person owns like two cars. Maybe three even. It all depends. I don't know what's going on in America, but they are rich and as you walk around town, people look at you and their heads are moved because you're, you're wealthy. The Bible says, oh, whoa, whoa, we have a whole new culture. There is not rich and poor. We are all on the same level. And on that level, all our knees bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords. So get it out of our mind that there's a difference. And it should challenge us that if there is rich and poor, it's probably better to be poor than rich, as the Scripture mentions, that it's harder for the camels to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. That is a threat to us. I want to get to heaven. What's going what's gonna, to what's gonna be blocking me? A God of wealth consuming towards that? That should definitely be a, a threat. But in God's new culture, God's new world that he has created, his new humanity that he's put together, Rich and poor on one plane. Proverbs 22.2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Number six. In this new humanity, male and female power issues should be gone. Everywhere there is these power issues that take place, even from male and female. I'll tell you where it started. It started in Genesis. As soon as sin started taking place, what did Adam do? Adam pointed his finger and said it was her fault. What did Eve do? Eve pointed his finger and says, well, it's Satan's fault. Everybody started pointing their finger at each other. And then there's a passage in Genesis that said, your lady on her curse will come after you. And as she does, this is talking about husband and wife, you will dominate her. See the relationship shattered? See the relationships broken? That's where the root of it comes. But then Paul speaks and he says, stop. Stop, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. You who are all one in Christ. Soul, carrying a richness, so rich that Christ died for it. That's the price of it. That is what takes place here, and we're all on that same plane. Male, female, the gender issue should be gone. If you look at other instructions in, in Ephesians 5, you say, well, no, 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 male has authority. I will say that male does have authority. And what's his job? His job is to lay down his life like Christ laid down his life for the church. <laughs> That's a, a tough job. 
What's a woman's job? It's supposed to support him in that, if you think about it. Submit to him as he does that. Do you see what that is? That's nothing but a growing circle of love that takes place as they work together on behalf of each other to become more stronger, one flesh relationship. Going to Africa and even in America, well, authority means this. It means I make this decision, this decision, this decision. That's not in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, you say you laid your life down for your wife like I laid your life down for a church. In God's new humanity, his new culture, his new world that he's created called the church, gender issues, gone. Seven, in this new humanity, strong and weak, young and old, gifted and not gifted, educated and not educated, all on the same plane. We are all one together, whether we're weak, whether we're strong, whether we're old, or whether we're young, we all have one purpose, one goal, one mind, and one heart. I just came back from a conference um, from Colorado Springs this, um, this last week. Pastor D and I were in the conference the whole week, and uh, there was uh, people talking about church growth, and there was one story about church growth that took place about some older people that, um, that had a, a church and the church was worth about $6 million. And they had 25 people that were in the congregation. And they would worship there every Sunday, every Sunday morning. The church down the road, they didn't have a building. It was a church plant. And they were running a large number of people, but they carried that obnoxious music, the obnoxious whatever they do to grow people. And it was like, I don't know what's going on down there. And there was kind of resentment that was taking place. But the elders talked in that church of six million dollar building and they said you know what we need to do we need to hand our building over to them we need to pull back and give them our building and they walked down there and they said to the pastor that the church plant says you know what we want to do is we have a building worth six million dollars and we want you to have it and the pastor looked at him and says why why do you want us to have this building i mean this is a great gift why do you want to have this building he, they said, because all of our grandchildren are going to your church and you are baptizing them. And we want to go to church with them. You see how old and young worked together with the resources that they had? There's another story about a guy who walked into um, a pastor's office and he says, our worship is getting way too out of hand in our church. And I think it's getting to a point that it is wrong, sinful, garbage, and it should stop immediately. And um, the pastor looked at him and said, what do you do with your grandchildren? He says, well, one thing that I really like doing is I really like going out to eat with our grandchildren, my grandchildren, something that I really love doing. He says, oh, you go out to eat? Where do you go? And the person says, well, I go wherever they pick. You know, I try to get them to go to my cafeteria and, that I usually go to, and it's, they have the best food in town, but they won't go there. They like, want to go to Mickey D's or they want to go get a greasy burger, places that I cannot stand. That's where I go. I just let them pick where to go, and then I just go to hang out with them. Otherwise, they would not go with me. The pastor says, well, who pays for that meal? <laughs> and the older person says, well, well, I pay for the meal. He says, the churches are the same way. Kids pick, you pay. <laughs> If you think about it, we want our grandchildren in church because we're a new humanity with a new focus, a new mission, a new mind, and it's not ourself. What is it? 
It is we have a different perspective than we've ever had before because Christ is the center, and I want that legacy to pass down. I want that legacy to grow. And those older people said, you know what? You're right. In fact, that is a beautiful statement because I want to worship with my kids more so than I want to worship in an area that drives me absolutely crazy because it's moved about that. Here we are, young and old. Young people cannot live without older people's wisdom. I am the most blessed pastor in the world because I have the greatest mentor in the world, Pastor D. So what do we do? We connect as one body, as one unit, and talking all week during the seminar, feeding off of each other, working with each other, walking together. We are one humanity with one purpose in mind, and that's for people to receive Christ so they can be part of this new culture called the church that is there. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men. This is not like other cultures. The church is different than every culture because God, Jesus, is the head And as Jesus is the head, he didn't just say, I want people. He says, I'm going to change people to be adapted into this new person, which is called the church, the humanity. So what's our challenges with this being said? This would be our challenge. As you walk, number eight, as you walk, as a part of Christ's church, we must remove every ounce, every piece of discrimination from our lives. We might not show it with our actions, but oftentimes we have it in our heart. There's a frustration, there's an angst, there's an anger, there's an emotion that connects us with discrimination. Because every single argument that has ever taken place in the world comes off of, I'm discriminating you and you shouldn't feel this way because I feel this way. But under God, Jesus being the head, He says, all discrimination is gone. And this is the culture I want, so it would be a culture of peace. Jesus took people that would not otherwise get along to get along and put them together, all together, on one mission and one purpose. That's what you call the church. People ask the question, well, what makes you part of the church? Some of the typical answers would be, is when you become a church member, that's what makes you a part of the church. Other answers would be, Well, if I go to church every week, that makes me a part of the church. If I go twice a week, a month, that makes me part of the church. If I tithe to the church, that makes me part of the church. Or if I serve at the church, that makes me part of the church. What makes you part of the church? Part of the church is a a humanity. The church is a humanity that has it in their mind of, I am going to create a culture of the word And the Word allows no discrimination. That's God's method of peace in the church. And that's God's message of peace to the world. As I mentioned before, everybody wants peace, but is there a way that we can have peace? Is there a design we can have peace? Yes, there is. It's people being brand new in Christ in that culture called the church being built. And one day, Christ is going to return from His church and it will be there in its fullest glory 
one mind, one heart, one will, one purpose, one attitude, one humanity that thinks the same as Christ thinks. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. We can often look at these verses and say, well, what does the Bible want from us? That verse wants you to be a whole new creature. Galatians six fifteen. what does it want from us? But a new creation. That verse wants me to be an entirely new creation. Colossians 3.10, what does it want for me? And have put a new self. This verse wants me to be a new self. John 3.7, you must be born again. What's a Bible saying that consistently goes through Scripture? Is the Bible consistently says, behave yourself, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. No, the Bible doesn't say those things. The Bible says, I want you to be a new person. The reason why the Bible does not say, do this, do this, do this, do that, is because doing this, doing that, and doing the other comes from the hands. Being the new person comes from the heart. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, a new culture is built inside of you. God, I want to be a new creation, not from being good, but I want to be a new creation who has received you as my Savior and have a changed heart that aligns myself with your word. Number nine, peace does not come from people being nice. Peace comes when God's people are new in Christ. Every country, every nation has tried peace, and they have done it by alliances. They've done it with trying to be nice. Christ's answer for peace to his church and the lost world is being brand new. We live in a country, and you just have to watch the news to see the division, the racial division, the gender divisions, all the divisions that are out there. We also live in a country where people want rest from it. People want peace. People want to get away from it. Can they get away from it on this planet? The answer is they should be. Because there is a place called the church that has nothing but peace as we abide in this new humanity. Nothing but love as we walk in this new humanity. The church is heaven on earth, and people outside of the church can experience that heaven when they walk through the doors and say, there is no disunity in this room. There's no racism. There's no gender issues. There's no class issues. There's no pecking order. People walk in this like, I do not understand that because there's no place in this world that I receive that. When I walk in the church... It just seems like they're all on one page and their focus is to love me. That's what you call a new humanity. That's what you call the church. We're going to take communion, and I just want to give you guys logistics before I give you the challenge. you got the elements that are down here. We encourage you to come up when the worship band starts to play. Take your time coming up, and feel free to come up, kneel down with your family, or come up as an individual. Also in the back, uh, we encourage you to um, go back there if you do not want to come forward. Go back there and have communion as well. Take the elements, then come back, and we'll continue to finish worship. challenge I want you to make is when you come to the table, there is bread, there is juice, signifying Christ's broken body and Christ's spilt blood for you. Just tell them, thank you, God, for not discriminating against me. Thank you, God. We're not discriminating 
against me. I reject you consistently. I sin against you consistently. I should be somebody that you would not want, and you have no discrimination. You died in my stead, and I'm saved because of it. Say, thank you, God, for not discriminating against me, because that is what those bread and juice represent. Father, we uh, praise you and, and thank you, God, for coming and saving us. God, you've called us to be uh, a new humanity without any sort of uh, discrimination in our minds at all. And I just pray, God, that uh, you would do a miracle in us and consistently do this miracle where we do not come up with social issues, economical classes, pecking orders whatsoever, God, but that even in our our work and in our life, God, that we would just have that annihilated from our mind, annihilated from our heart, annihilated from our will. God, we want this world to see you. And God, the peace in your church, God, is what the world needs to see. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.